Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and here's my quota for last week's episode, Top 3's Films, Cities, and More. But first, a confession. It's probably not that much of a confession because it's probably obvious that when I suggested the topic to Travis, it was it was an easy way for me to learn a little bit about Travis, as well as to make it easy on myself because I'm a very, very busy person and October is crazy. Trust me, it's just crazy. Um, but as I mentioned in the episode, as a kid, I read ma- magazines like People Magazine and other kinds of rags where the reporters were routinely asked celebrities questions like this. What are your favorite foods or your three favorite places to travel and so on? When I was an active blogger in the 2000s, I used to publish short question interviews to artists, mainly to writers that I knew and admired and had often collaborated with. I'd ask them questions like name three or four things, blah, 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 kinds of questions. They seemed to enjoy them, and so did I. They were easy lifts. While social media mines my data and keeps me addicted to opening their apps, posting and sharing stuff with friends and family, it also likes to get folks to send out quick questionnaires about how many states or countries you've traveled to, things that no one knows about you or whatever, you know, to get more data from you. While I was talking to Travis, it occurred to me that these kinds of questions and questionnaires can be both fun, but also maybe useless in the long run. In the closely curated social media that I share, like most people, I think, I share what I want to, and everything else is my own business. There are many things that are not even on the table to share with Facebook or IG or Twitter or anywhere. These are things that I hold privately and close to my own heart. And of course, we've all heard it. We all think that we know someone until we don't. And I don't necessarily mean that your quiet neighbor who killed someone and all you can say is to the local news reporter is that he seemed like a nice guy. Quiet added with the usual. We live in a pretty safe neighborhood. Nothing like that ever happens here. Blah, blah, blah. So the three movies that I chose, Stalker, Noises Off and Serum, all share one quality. They revel in the moment and offer a peek behind the facade. Noises off in Serumam are farces and meant to, meant to send up the actors and society's abnormal interest in serial killers, respectively. But Stalker's slow pace and mood requires an attention that has all been obliterated by the usually extreme quick cuts we experience in film, but maybe don't really notice how many edits we are watching when we're watching the film. I went to StephenFollows.com to get a sense of what that was like. And as if we break down the results by genre, we can see that documentaries have the lowest number of shots, 491, followed by music-based video movies, 814 and romantic films 869 but at the other end of the spectrum action films have the highest number of shots 1913 on average followed by sci-fi 1701 and average and adventure 1681 so basically we're looking at an average length shot of four seconds <laughs> which is insane when you think about Movies like uh, films by um, Andre Tarkovsky, which are really slow films, slow pace films, rather. Um, as I mentioned, short lists can be cute and fun, but I think you th- think you know something more about somebody than you actually do. Which is what I do, and I'm sure you do it, too. And for example, let me give you an example. As I, I, there are times when I watch myself walk down the street in Harlem, monitoring my thoughts with people. Who looks me in the eye? Who doesn't? Who is wearing what? Someone's higher, low, listless energy. 
I'll make a thousand or more judgments based on what I think I know about them. And when I catch myself, I'll say to myself, you don't know much of anything about that person. It relieves me of the right of being right. What? No, let me rephrase that. Sorry. It relieves me of the responsibility or the weight of being right, which is a hassle if you ask me, because if you're right, you can't really learn anything. And I actually do like learning stuff. But anyway, what are your favorite things about American age? Name three things. Just kidding. Sort of. Talk to you soon. This is C. Travis Webb, editor of The American Age, and this is my note on last week's podcast. Uh, Stephen and I uh, talked about uh, top threes. You know, we didn't make it very far into the list. We started with movies and uh, and then I think briefly touched on places. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I really try uh, to not overly prepare for the podcast. I I try, you know, I know the topic and I think a little bit about it before we talk, but I don't do a lot of homework for it most of the time. Occasionally that's not true, but most of the time I don't, uh, mostly because I want the conversations to be as spontaneous and for me, authentic. I'm not saying it can't be authentic if you are not, uh, if you are prepared, if you prepare, I don't believe that at all. But for me, um, it helps me just to be fully present in the conversation. Um, and a lot of times I think that works and sometimes it doesn't. And it didn't work this last time because I, I forgot completely. Um, as happens when people ask you, you know, your top three things or, you know, favorite, whatever. Um, it didn't occur to me um, that I missed a movie uh, called Mind Walk. And, you know, this is a movie that I watched pretty early on. Um, I don't know. It was probably, I don't know if it was quite 20. Um, came out in 1990. Um, and it was, um, I believe it's it's an adaptation of a short story called Turning Point. Um, and uh, it was about these uh, three people uh, that meet uh, on a, an island or near an island, I'm sorry, near an island. Um, and one of them is a poet, one is a physicist, and one is a politician. And the Sam Waterston is in it, and he plays a you know, a, a politician that is thinking about running for president and, uh, John Hurd is a poet and, uh, Liv Ullman places a, a physicist. And, you know, the conversation wanders into all of these heady topics. And, um, you know, this is my first real exposure to the depth of some of the ideas that are touched upon in this film. Um, you know, I mean, that's a relatively short movie. You can't touch on it too deeply, but you know, they're talking about quantum mechanics and uh, uh, you know different uh, political theories, uh, and of course, uh, poetry uh, figures prominently in the film. And I loved it. I watched it over and over again, uh, and really was one of those sort of early kind of gateway drugs to uh, heavier intellectual fare uh, for me, and. I, the only thing I wanted to share about that film is something that still has stayed with me since that time. And it's a, a poem by Pablo Neruda 
that you know, if if I wasn't recording the podcast and I had a beer, I could probably recite end to end. Um, I have it. Uh, I certainly had it memorized quite easily. Uh, I mean, I had memorized it. It came to me quite easily, is what I was trying to say um, when I was younger. And probably, if I was relaxed enough, could do the whole thing. Uh, but I'll read it just so I don't make any mistakes. Um, there are several translations of the poem. Uh, obviously, Neruda was uh, wrote in Spanish, so this is not uh, this is not the native language of the poem. Um, I find most of the translations bad, and I don't mean that in a snooty way. I mean that it misses some of the musicality that you can hear in the Spanish, even though my Spanish is terrible. Um, it's uh, called Enigmas, 1950, and this uh, poem is read towards the end of the film in order to to capture, I think, the essence of the kind of meandering questions that anyone who's spent any time thinking about the world and its ultimate destiny as well as our own has probably felt. You ask me what the lobster is weaving there with his golden feet, and I reply, the ocean knows this. You say, what is the Asidia waiting for in its transparent bell? What is it waiting for? I tell you it is waiting for time, like you. You ask me whom the Macrocista alga hugs in its arms. Study it. Study it at a certain hour in a certain sea I know. You question me about the wicked tusk of the gnar whale, and I respond by describing how the sea unicorn with a harpoon in it dies. You inquire about the kingfisher's feathers, which tremble in the pure springs of the southern tides, or you found in the cards a new question touching on the crystal architecture of the sea anemone, and you'll deal that to me now? You want to understand the electric nature of the ocean spines? The armored stalactite that breaks as it walks? The hook of the anglerfish? The music stretched out in the deep places like a thread in the water? I want to tell you the ocean knows this, that life in its jewel boxes is endless as the sand, impossible to count, pure, and among the blood-colored grapes time has made the petal hard and shiny, made the jellyfish full of light and untied its knot, letting its musical threads fall from a horn of plenty made of infinite mother of pearl. I am nothing but the empty net which has gone on ahead of unseeing human eyes, dead in those darknesses, of fingers accustomed to the triangle, longitudes on the timid globe of an orange. I once walked around as you do, investigating the endless star, and in my net, during the night, I woke up naked. The only thing caught? A fish trapped inside the wind. John heard the character uh, uh, Thomas or I forget his name, uh, his name, I should actually have looked it up. But, uh, but anyway, John Hurd's character um, in the movie then has a uh, kind of segues right from that poem into this discussion of about all of the ways in which we find ourselves in the things that we study. And it's a very Buddhist uh, um kind of Eastern philosophical framework that he's working with. And, and the, the turning point certainly draws on that. 
uh, Friedhof, it's Ka- uh, Friedhof Capra's brother, the Tao of Physic, the, the guy who wrote the Tao of Physics. It's his bro- brother who, uh, who directed the film. And, you know, this idea of seeing ourselves refracted back to us in the portions of the world that we invest our time and energy we see our own anger we see our own disillusionment we see our own optimism our own hope our own dissatisfactions our own fears and even if they're secret to ourselves secret from ourselves secreted away i should say from ourselves these are the things that we are engaged with over and over and over and over again and i think it's an important thing for me to remember whether i hope the same is true for you that the sort of psychic upheaval that is everywhere around us in 21st century america is in fact our own psychic upheaval it is in fact our own sense of loss and bewilderment and confusion and being unsure where the center is and i just think it's a humble thing to carry with us that i work on carrying with me that some things that i am certain about i should perhaps be a little less certain about just as i am constantly surprised by the things that i encounter in the world or because i am constantly surprised by the things i encounter in the world and that the world can surprise us and that maybe we should take a step back or i should take a step back and see the ways that i am reflecting those things back at myself i know it's a little meandering i i understand um that was actually the nature of the film itself it kind of wanders about um but yeah i missed that we were talking about it and mind walk was a hugely um i mean you know it i've gone i've gone back and looked at it later in life and it doesn't move me in quite the same way um but certainly at the time uh it did um and i should have added it to the list thanks for listening